0: Anyway, you see that music video for "The Man" by the Killers? I did not watch it, no, but I took your word for it, and I trust you. It's satirical as hell. Fuck, hell, fuck. That's great. I, I that that redeems
1: the song in my ears, but does it redeem it in your eyes? No, because you haven't seen the video.
0: Exactly. That's what I I phrase my words carefully, Joan. Welcome back to yeah. Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry, and my name's John, and together we're Henry and John, coming at you over the airwaves and into your ear holes, and hopefully into your heart
1: hole, your heart hole, of which you should have four. Really, ventricle and our- ten- <laughs> t- tentrical, <laughs> left and right artery spectacles testicles wallet and watch is not just ventricles and artery wallet and watch what left ventricle right ventricle left artery starboard artery you're right because inside of all of us is a ship and that ship
0: is the heart and that heart is used to make other ships that we call
1: friendships and blood and blood hey john Oh, yes? How are you doing on this fine day? I'm very tired, because work was really... Work was very tiring. I'm sorry your work was so tiring, John, but
0: it's time to pep up, because we've got some major news to cover. Oh, fuck. Yeah, I mean, here on the Zero Credits News Network, which is what we are right now, we've got all the latest news, all the, the, the biggest
1: updates in your cultural and financial world. Uh, I mean, I think we should just get right down into it, because if there's so much news to cover, there's no time to be lollygagging. There's no time to be lollygagging with long-winded speeches about how
0: the southern coast is being destroyed by hurricanes, Mexico's being destroyed by earthquakes and hurricanes, and a particular credit monitoring system was hacked by people. Thus,
1: Equifax, John... Equifax. No guarantee that it was people, Henry. No guarantee whatsoever. Could have been the machines. Could have been the machines, John. But you, you, you're you kind of a financial person, right? Uh, one might say that I'm a seer of finances. You're a seer of... You've seen this. You've seen things in finance, right? Yeah, and I've seen an Equifax. All right, uh, why don't you walk
0: us through what the hell is going on with Echo, Equif- Equifax... And why the hell is nobody panicking?
1: Uh, I can walk... Those are really two very separate things. Number one, what's happening with Equifax is I believe 134 million people had their Equifax history leaked by a group of hackers? Yes, and what exactly would that information contain? That information would be current and previous addresses, social security numbers, uh, sometimes social security numbers of your family members, date of birth, full name, driver's license number... Basically, everything short of your credit card information. So, basically, this is the personal information that anyone could use to steal your identity. Yeah, everything they would need. Every every possible thing they would need to assume your identity. Uh, 134 million people are affected. Also, I believe there are 137 million households in America. So, yeah. yeah for, from what I've read, the, the number
0: 134 million adults, basically... Basically covers anyone who's ever touched any sort of financial thing ever relating to credits. Uh, So let's see. Here's how one person puts it. Are you an American adult that has ever held or inquired about a credit card, loan, car, bank account, cell phone account, electrical service, water service, internet service, a security clearance, most jobs, most schools, most apartment complexes, or
1: renting a house?
0: Congratulations, you're affected.
1: Yeah, it is a phenomenally widespread hack. You know, millions of people are affected and affected very, very seriously to a degree that we've never seen this kind of widespread leak of information before. So, th- does this not seem like a point in which some sort of government entity is supposed
0: to step in and take responsibility and kind of Help everybody
1: protect their information? Well, I can tell you what did happen. What did happen, John? Uh, Equifax set up a helpful website that would allow you to log in with your birth date and the last four of your social security number, or the last six, I forget. And uh, you could see if you were affected by the hack. Why
0: would I give more personal information to the company that lost all of my
1: personal information? Well, that's a great question that a lot of people should have asked themselves, because I'm sure that millions of people went to that website minutes or hours after it became live to see if they were affected. This doesn't make any sense. Why? I feel like Equifax should be destroyed. Hold on, Henry. You're about to feel a lot more like Equifax should be destroyed. Oh, do tell. Uh, because the website that they set up to check to see if you were affected, uh, some enterprising people noticed that you could input anything into it and it would be essentially random as to whether or not it would tell you you were affected or not. So wait, you could enter anything into the fields and get a random response? Seemingly, they don't actually know who is affected, or they did not feed that information into this checker, and when you agree to the terms of using the Equifax uh, Identity Theft Checker, powered by this thing called Trusted ID, or Trust ID, you are enrolled in Trust ID Identity Theft Protection Services. So that sounds pretty good, right? That... Oh, sounds okay, but that sounds kind of like you
0: sign the paper and then the, the person with the paper takes off their mask to reveal that they're actually just a knife that's about to stab you.
1: Well, it's really interesting to know that in the end-user license agreement of the Trust ID Identity theft Protection software, you waive all rights to take part in a class action lawsuit against Equifax. That's... So, so <laughs> you sign up for this Trust ID thing and then you lose your right to persecute the people who lost your information. You go to a website that seemingly uh, is blowing smoke up your ass for no reason, uh, to join an identity theft protection service, which is just a cover to keep you from suing Equifax, and they probably get millions of people to do it, and those millions of people now have no possible recourse if they were substantially harmed by this, uh, hack. That just sounds dirty. They're covering, they're covering themselves... It is one of the most backwards, monstrous things I've heard of a corporation doing in a long, long time.
0: Here's the real question, I guess, in all of this. How did
1: Equifax get my personal information in the first place? Well, Equifax got your personal information in the first place because they are one of the main three purveyors of what is uh, called a FICO score, or a a Fair Isaac's Corporation score it's a basically a risk model that the Fair Isaac Corporation created to generate a number between 300 to 850 which gives financial institutions an idea of your probability of going bankrupt in the next uh, I think it's within the next 3 years okay So the closer you are to 300, the more likely you are to go bankrupt. And the closer you are to 850, the less likely you are to go bankrupt. And it's all based on a series of different risk models that are closely held secrets that no one knows 100% what goes into it. And let's just say hypothetically, one of the
0: pillars of this, this secretly held algorithm of determining if you're going bankrupt or not, What if one of these three pillars just sort of crumbles on its own? Are the other two going to factor that in into the possibility that your identity was stolen? Or is this a serious thing that could affect you for the next three to four years of your life?
1: Uh, it is a very serious thing that could affect people for the rest of their entire lives if they don't take action. And I think, uh, well, do you want my pessimistic view or my not pessimistic view? Let's start with the pessimistic because everything looks dark and thundery over here. Pessimistic view, Equifax will continue to be uh, one of the preeminent providers of FICO credit scores because they're entrenched, they're the Coca-Cola of credit reporting bureaus, and... Honestly, I feel like if you are a human being and you read the headline, 134 million people's personal information was just stolen, it kind of washes over you because we read news like that all the time.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess you figure, oh, well, there's billions of people in the world. I can't possibly be affected. And my credit score right now is fine. It hasn't changed. But then you wait and then within, let's say, five years, all of a sudden there's these extra credit accounts open in your name and there's nothing you can do, and now you're
1: fighting the government to prove that that wasn't you at all. It's phenomenally awful. But honestly, a lot of people might have a similar viewpoint to it that I do, and that I will take steps to protect myself, but I pretty thoroughly believe that my information is out there already and it's just a matter of time before my identity gets stolen.
0: Well, I mean... That's a super pessimistic view. Uh, the guides that I've been reading kind of equate it to a lottery that you don't want to win. Mm-hmm. Think of it as there are 134 million people entered into this lottery. If your number comes up in this lottery, congratulations, your your information has been stolen and used to open up a bunch of credit cards or loans, what have you, and you lose everything.
1: Yeah, it, it's uh It's really important for people to know their options when something like this happens, because if you know that you are affected, and by gum, you probably were, the first thing you should do is contact the Credit Reporting Bureau and put an identity theft marker on your credit report. If you report it to one Credit Reporting Bureau, they are obligated to report it to the other two.
0: Well, that's that's great. What I've been reading is uh, you should go ahead and put a freeze on all of your credit reports right now.
1: Yeah, and and you can do that too. One of the reasons why I would suggest that you put an identity fraud marker on your account is if you're looking to increase the amount of debt that you have you're trying to buy a house or buy a car, if you have a fraud marker put on your profile at a credit reporting bureau, they will notify you when new credit is opened in your name and you can tell them whether or not you sought to have that happen.
0: Okay, so that's basically like a freeze, but with notification.
1: Yeah, it's a freeze with with notification, then you can say, "Yeah, it was me. I was trying to get a car and then they'll be okay with it."
0: All right. That sounds like a lot better idea because the freezing and unfreezing thing costs money.
1: Yeah, don't don't pay money.
0: Yeah. So you can put a a identity theft marker on your cre- credit. Am I saying that right?
1: <laughs> yeah, on your credit report.
0: <laughs> on your credit report and then and then any future applications for credit will be run past you first
1: i think for the next year to three years not forever
0: all right uh how do how do you go about contacting the federal bureau of
1: credit uh it's not the federal bureau of credit you can probably call equifax if they're the people you want to be mad at first
0: i don't want i don't want to talk to them i don't want anything to do with them how how, how else do i do it
1: uh you can call experian there
0: are they one of the other three
1: Yes, they are probably the least popular of the 3. How can but- there be
0: a least popular one? Like these are pe- these are the three pillars of our entire economy.
1: Yeah, they are the uh, the three pillars of our entire credit economy, but the thing is, they're corporations. They're corporations that sell uh, a risk algorithm, and they sell it competitively. The reason why almost everyone pulls Equifax and checks Equifax is because Equifax markets itself the most aggressively. They will cut rates for people. They'll give aggressive contracts. They're trying to sell a service.
0: All right. I, I guess that makes sense, but it still seems like you're done. You've won. You're one of the three corporations that everyone has to go through to check credit. Like you're the gas station of the the credit world. People will come to you regardless.
1: But if people wanted to call Experian, uh, I believe I have a number here.
0: Yeah, let's let's give out a number so people
1: can actually take steps to protect themselves. So if you were to call one eight seven seven. 2847942 you can speak to a representative at Experian and tell them that you believe you were affected by the Experian ha- by the Equifax hack and that you would like to put your credit report under investigation for potential identity theft or fraud
0: and that will trigger a
1: notification anytime someone applies for credit under your name and if anyone applies for uh, loan or anyone looks at your credit report they will see that you have an identity theft marker on your credit report and then they'll have to look it over with extra care
0: okay and in no way that does that affect your current credit score it does not all right just to alleviate any potential pressures why don't you go ahead listener at home go ahead and call aquarian experian yes Put, up, put a mark, put an, uh, an investigation mark on your credit report just to be safe because we have no idea who has the information or what they're going to do with it, but you would say, in this case, it's way better to be
1: safe than sorry. Yeah, it's way better in this case to do something than nothing because a lot of people are going to do nothing because it... It speaks to the current cultural climate where so much bad shit is happening to so many people and so and identity theft is so prevalent that we just kind of let it wash over us and we're like, yeah, though we'll, it'll probably get stolen eventually. Hopefully it'll happen after I'm dead.
0: <laughs> Hopefully it'll just be a case of voter fraud and not a case of my entire financial future is ruined.
1: I mean, you know, if some Russian signs up for Netflix under me... Maybe I won't get that upset.
0: Well, yeah, th- that wouldn't be so bad. But we're talking about car loans and home loans and just debt.
1: We're talking about debt. Debt's bad. Yeah, debt's bad. Someone's going to take a $20,000 loan to buy a bunch of bitcoins.
0: Oh, it's a good investment because they never have to pay back the loan.
1: Yeah, just, uh, I mean, it's it is a good investment. You know, the best investment is crime. The rate of return is through the roof. Yep. And there's no chance of repercussion. I mean, there's limited downside potential, but unlimited upside potential. This Equifax thing, no
0: one's talking about it. And I I think it's, you're right. There's just a lot going on right now with all of the hurricanes in North Korea. And we have a, you know, the, the president and all this stuff. So it's just like we're getting so much bad news every day. That it's all just starting to become white noise.
1: It's a fucking bummer week. It's it's almost like some some nineteen eighty four shit or some Brave New World shit. The idea that like if you just bombard people with information, it'll be almost impossible to pick the useful information out.
0: Yeah, it, and it, I, it's also a little hard to sort of link this idea, this notion of credit, to the idea of self-preservation. Because self-preservation is usually life and death, and credit scores and your 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 debt and all—it's all abstract, you know. It doesn't trigger that fight or flight kind of uh, feeling. So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's hard to take seriously when you're when you see the number one one hundred thirty-four million people affected. You see that and you're like, well, that can't possibly be me.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a survivorship bias. You just assume that it's not going to be you.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm not going to get struck by lightning. That's the other 1,340, whatever number of people who are getting struck by lightning right now.
1: And it's funny, though, if you uh, if you reverse that and uh, you you take like people who play the lottery, everyone thinks they're going to be the person who wins the lottery, but when it's a bad thing, no... Yeah,
0: it's it's weird. It's it's the exact inverse because with the lottery, it's a good thing, and only like one to twenty people can win the lottery at a time. But with the bad thing that's affecting literally everybody, no, that's not me.
1: Brains are weird.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And like, it, it's it even with me who is outraged that this is happening, it's hard to motivate myself to take these steps that we're talking about because I don't want to be bothered. But it's like. Well, if I don't, and it ends up bad, then I only have myself to blame.
1: And I mean, if you don't do that, I am going to sign up for Hulu with your information. You don't have my information. Yes, I do. You're not the hacker. I have it right here in this thumb drive. <laughs> Wait, do you just have my
0: information, or did everyone's information fit on one thumb drive?
1: I paid a hefty price for this information. Is it just mine? Yes. Yes. How much did you
0: pay for just my information?
1: Six thousandths of a Bitcoin. <laughs> Which roughly translates into a million dollars. Wait, so six thousandths of a Bitcoin would be like 24 bucks. 24 is six thousandths of 4,000? Well, I mean, if one thousandth of a Bitcoin is $4, four times six, 24. Man,
0: I don't know math. What do you think this is? John teaches Henry math? No, that's that's later.
1: That's a different podcast. It's
0: a different podcast. That's that's the Frog Factions podcast.
1: Henry, I have a quick question. What's up, John? Do you think we choose to be happy? <laughs> no, no, no. This this goes with the thing that we're talking about. It sounds kind of <laughs> weird and high concept, but like I I feel I feel like we're we're talking about survivorship bias, and we're talking about you know if. If people are assuming a good thing will happen, if even if it's the same odds, they'll be like, oh, that'll happen or that won't happen. And... There's a certain amount of the human condition that has to be based on the idea of rejecting rationalism. What makes you say that? Because we couldn't, if we were being rational beings, we would weigh these two things perfectly the same. If there was a 1 in 134 million chance of me winning the lottery, no one would play. If there was a 1 in 34 million chance of me getting my identity stolen, I would care about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't know. Cause like the idea of choosing to be happy just from my perspective as a person who struggles with happiness on a daily basis, it can't be that easy.
1: I mean, I think that uh, I mean this is going to sound super pretentious, but uh, Camus once said that you know there's there's nothing humiliating in unhappiness, and there's a certain there's a certain essential part of human existence that is based on the act. Not the act of, but the state of being unhappy. And we have to differentiate between unhappiness and then humiliation and sorrow and all these awful things that fall out of unhappiness and are under the unhappiness umbrella. But sometimes I wonder with with all the stuff that's happening right now, like, I don't know, I was on BuzzFeed of all places and I was seeing articles like, look at this cute watermelon cat, and they have like 6,000 comments, and that's like, oh, 16 people were killed in Jordan, no comments.
0: Well, yeah... I guess it is in, like, if if we think of happiness as this fragile sort of made of glass thing that we have to carry with us, we will protect that glass happiness from anything that can potentially harm it. So we will seek out the cute watermelon cat because the cute watermelon cat won't break our glass happiness. Mm-hmm. Whereas the 16 people who died in Georgia, that might crack it a little bit.
1: I, uh, yeah, I I guess we just, I guess it is self-preservation of happiness.
0: Yeah, it's really weird. And as a person who exposes themselves to as much media and much information on a daily basis as I possibly can, just because I have this weird, insatiable, like, thirst for knowledge... I have to wonder if exposing myself to everything, not filtering that out, if
1: that's actually
0: affecting my happiness or not.
1: You've got to wonder. I mean, I I consume some pretty depressing things. I'm like, maybe I'd be less depressed if I didn't.
0: Yeah, but it's like, it, it, it goes back to that question of whether or not
1: ignorance is bliss. I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, It's this is way too heady stuff, but, I mean, yeah. ignorance is bliss is all an argument of perspective, I and mean, perception being reality, and that if you're too stupid to be upset, then life is perfect, because you can't be unhappy.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and really, all I wanted to do was warn people about the Equifax thing, and uh, give them a few pointers and tips to how they can, they can protect themselves, but... <laughs> that of course devolved into this 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 self-preservation thing.
1: yeah, I don't know I, I was just thinking about how like I'm I'm actively like I know the steps to take to protect myself I have not taken them
0: yeah it's it, I mean it's this weird thing where the rational part of the self and then the other part of the self or, or the other parts of the self are, are in conflict because the rational thought, the rational, the logical thinking is protect yourself, take these steps, we know them, go ahead and do them, but the other parts are like, yeah, but that's not something I would do on a normal, like a daily basis, so it's just, it's that much harder to do, it takes that much more energy, it's really, it's a really weird phenomenon.
1: Yeah, and you don't want to admit the threat is real.
0: Yeah, I guess by taking action, you're you're switching the plausible deniability part Like the part that says, well, that's not going to affect me, by taking action you're saying, but it could.
1: Yeah, that's uh, it. it's something to think about. I don't think we're going to find the answer to it on this podcast, but look within yourselves, listeners. Yeah, I feel like
0: this is one of the topics that we keep coming back to. It it keeps echoing throughout the things we talk about. And and maybe one day, maybe the end of the podcast, if if there ever is an end, when we find the answer to how does one... 100 percent ensure happiness or or self-preserve their happiness when we find that answer that's the day we will decide to
1: end the podcast and that's the day when we get a podcast emmy yeah a potty oh is that what they're called nowadays i i think i called it a potty in a previous episode so i'm sticking with it okay so we gotta shoot for that potty yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone tries to do. They try to get an Emmy, a Tony, an Oscars, a Golden Globe, and a and a potty. Yeah, a Peacock, the, the sweep. Yeah, the Peacock. That's what they call it, the Peacock sweep. Yep. <laughs> you know, speaking of Oscars, oh, what's what's on your mind, John? You know, what's not going to win an Oscar? What's not going to win an Oscar, John? The next, the the ninth Star Wars movie. Well done. Very nice segue. S- is that is that what we needed? Although it might win an Oscar for like something like special effects. Yeah, but it's not going to win the Oscar for movie directed by Colin Trevorrow. Well, what makes you say that?
0: Isn't Colin Trevorrow the acclaimed director signed on to the project whose latest film The Book of Henry totally didn't flop at the blo- the blo- the box office? The Blob's office? The Blob's office? Uh, no, he is off
1: of the project completely. What? Oh, what happened to acclaimed director guy I forgot name? Uh, you know, actually, I was gonna, like, make a whole thing about it, but I 100% forgot that he made the Book of Henry. Yeah, uh... So maybe this is for the best. Well, look,
0: we can't judge... There's a saying in showbiz, John... Yes. You can only judge a director by their most recent work. And what, what is his most recent work? It's the Book of Henry. My phone's ringing. I hope that it's not getting picked up.
1: No, I can't hear
0: it. Okay, good. Uh, it, it was the Book of Henry, which I don't, I don't believe anyone in, in the world saw.
1: I read a detailed synopsis, and it sounds like the craziest, most pointless movie ever made. But how much of that is the writing? Uh, it's, it's tough to say. How much of it is who wrote it? That's a great question. Maybe a great question that I should look up while you stall. Okay, sweet. Stalling. I like Star Wars. I like Ewoks. I like Death, death Stars. Sound like I said I like death. I don't like death. John. What's up? John. What's up? You're stalling. Could use
0: some work? And it was written by Greg Hurwitz. Oh, Greg Hurwitz. Do you know that name? Nope. We'll look him up. Uh, He's an American author of crime novels and comic books.
1: Oh, that explains it. Crime novels. notable, Notable works. Orphan X. Tell no lies. Don't look back. No idea what any of those are. The Tower. Nope. Minutes to Burn. Nope.
0: Do Not Harm. Nope. The Kill Clause. Oh, the Kill Clause has Clause spelled. Uh. C L A U S E? Nope. Don't know it. (laughs) What about this very specific title? The Program. Oh. No. Alright, I don't think you're going to know any of these titles, but he has also written for Wolverine, The Punisher, and Fool Killer for Marvel Comics. Oh, Fool
1: Killer? That explains it. Yeah, I don't know this guy. Yeah, uh, so Colin Trevorrow, I, I don't know about his quality. Because the, uh, God, what's the name of the guy who's directing the 8th movie? Ryan? Reynolds. Ryan Johnson? Look, I, I, I can't look up everything. I have no idea. Well, anyway, I, I have faith in him because he directed like some really awesome episodes of Breaking Bad. He's cool. So, this,
0: this Trevorrow guy, mm-hmm. he's only got six movies under his belt. Wait, one, two, three, four, five movies under his belt. Mm-hmm. One of them is Safety Not Guaranteed, which was a quirky little indie film about time travel. Yes, starring uh Mark Duplass and and Aubrey Plaza. I happened to see it. I liked it, but it's not. It wasn't anything really of note. Oh, I think I heard about that. Yeah, it it was based on a um a classified ad placed in a newspaper, but really that was just more of a source of information, uh, inspiration, and not really like a, a guide. It wasn't true to the film.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, I I am perplexed eternally. By how they chose the directors for these movies so far in advance from the catalogs they had available.
0: Yeah, so I guess they picked him solely off Jurassic World? Did he... did he do Jurassic World? He was the
1: director of Jurassic World. I didn't particularly like that movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, it had its problems. It relied a little too bit on nostalgia for a lot of the plot. And also... Uh, you know obligatory comment about how fast a woman can run in high high heels Mm -hmm. Um, yeah the one thing
1: everyone talked about
0: yeah so so really and and those are the two safety not guaranteed in Jurassic world are really the only the the only things of note because these other two earlier projects are a documentary and a short film
1: and when they took uh ryan johnson boy i should really look up this dude's name hold on stall
0: uh, so Star Wars is the story of a farmer who doesn't like the government. So he meets up with his uncle who
1: is a terrorist. And yeah, it's Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. All right, that's good. So they they seemingly brought him on to direct the eighth Star Wars movie. You know, huge tent franchise bought by Disney. And seemingly what they based that off of was he directed some very high concept episodes of Breaking Bad. Okay. And he had directed the Joseph Gordon-Levitt teen noir brick. Those are the only projects he has? Uh, That's the only thing they could have based their decision on, I'm almost certain. That's, That's really weird. Or, you know, Looper.
0: I don't think he would have been picked for Star Wars 8 for for Looper.
1: Yeah, I I think he also did The Brothers Bloom.
0: All right, The Brothers Bloom maybe, but it's 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 they're making some really weird choices. Like JJ Abrams for Star Wars 7 was an obvious choice, you know. He he'd been he, he'd immersed himself in sci-fi. He'd been doing the Star Wars, no, sorry, the Star Trek movies for a while. He, mm-hmm. You know, he's got the flair, he's got the experience, he's got the production company to back it all up with Bad Robot. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the obvious choice.
1: No, he's got a proven track record of taking uh, ephemera-heavy science fiction and turning it into big-budget success. Done. Like, throw, throw a dart at that dartboard, baby. With, with the news that J.J. Abrams will be coming back
0: for the ninth movie, which is what we've been building up to... Um, I feel like maybe they were trying to get away from him because he was too safe.
1: And I think, I mean, it it all depends on what happens in the eighth one, the Ryan Johnson one, to see if putting in the hands of a largely untested director will work. Now I'm very excited because I love Ryan Johnson, but it's it's gonna be interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard rumors about Star Wars Eight um The Last Jedi or whatever it's called, basically amounting to get ready to see things you've never seen in a Star Wars movie before.
1: So blood.
0: So maybe blood. I don't I don't know about that. But that has me excited because I, I did like The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. but it was a it was samey. It was similar.
1: Yeah, it was a it was a little too one note. It kind of just felt like an echo down a hallway from uh, Star Wars: A New Hope.
0: Yeah, it was just like yeah, we're gonna do a New Hope, but bigger.
1: Yeah, bigger New Hope, and it, you know, it was kind of similar to Jurassic World in that it traded so heavily on nostalgia. Yeah, so maybe that's
0: why they tapped Trevor, Colin Tre- Trevorrow because. They saw Jurassic World and like, yeah, he knows how to do nostalgia. But that's not what you should do for your 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 climax to the new
1: trilogy, right? And I mean, of course, there's always the bigger question of does it really matter who they hired to direct anyway? Because this movies like this, particularly Star Wars movies and and Marvel movies too, a director can only have so much influence when the people making the like literally just making the movie are the producers
0: yeah i was actually having a similar conversation last night with uh, my girlfriend that these movies are probably a lot bigger than the directors as in no matter kind of like what happens it's going to be star wars it's not going to be jj abrams presents star wars it's star wars first and the directors kind of secondary
1: yeah, because you know, I can imagine if you're a Ryan Johnson or Colin Trevorrow, and you come to the producers and you say, "I'm going to do something different," and they're like, "And we're going to get someone different."
0: Yeah, if you look, what's happening with like the the young Han Solo project, where the maybe the the director was taking a few liberties and letting people ad lib on set. Executive producers like they they visited the set, they saw what was going on, and they shut that down.
1: They seem very protective of what star wars is and what star wars will become because they don't want anything to infringe on their abilities to merchandise and and,
0: oh yeah it's all about the bottom line probably but i I just i get fearful for the creative process because when you've got geniuses like edgar wright walking away from ant-man because of creative differences it just seems like, well, what, what was the movie we could have done? What, you know, wh- why are we why are we settling for this movie that we have when we could have had better?
1: I feel like it takes so much work to try to get studios and studio executives to understand that people respond well to art. Because if you're someone who just cares about making money, art is the scariest thing in the world because art can fail. You cannot understand it. You know, art is something that's a rogue variable that you want gone. Yeah, and if there's if there's anything
0: that people in these positions want more than anything else, it's predictability and control.
1: Yeah, they just want to be able to put their hands on something and just make it go where they want it to go.
0: I feel like the main problem that producers have is that they read headlines too much and they see that, well, I'm not on the, the IT project, but it just had the largest the most successful opening weekend for a horror movie ever, I want that. Oh, I gotta make a movie that's exactly
1: like It. Yeah, you just want money. And if you just want money, you're going to smother art. Yeah, you're gonna stifle it. You're gonna box it
0: into these corners of triteness. And, like, we've done that before. We've seen it a million times. And you end up with The Mummy starring Tom Cruise.
1: But we also have a few little you know, points of light in the overall cinematic landscape right now because I feel like Marvel, well, Marvel is Disney right now, but I feel like Marvel Studios is going through... What Disney slash Lucasfilm is going through with right now, because they tried to express so much creative control over everything that their movies just kind of became wallpaper paste for a while. They just kind of became the same milieu of the same notes, and no one was really getting super pumped for them. And they're kind of coming out of that with things like Thor Ragnarok and Spider-Man: Homecoming that are actually more artistic and off the wall than the other things, because they're letting people, you know, uh, exist exude control a little bit more
0: yeah and i hope this is a direction that we can continue to 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 see happening but if we're cracking down and saying that's not star wars then you know
1: where 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 does that leave us Uh, That leaves us in a world where there's no respect for storytelling. If we're basing new stories based on an old story and say, no, 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 that's not true to this other one. It's like, no, dude, it's just a story. It's inspired by the thing. Come on.
0: That's what I liked about the subtitle for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Even though it seemed a little unnecessary but it was just like, this is a story happening in the same universe.
1: Yeah, this is something that we can enjoy as part of a shared universe. I feel like part of what makes us so reticent to accept new entries into a quote-unquote universe is copyright. It's it's people who have stories, or trademark, copyright. Anyway, it's, it's all copyright stuff because you have these big tentpole franchises that have existed for decades and they have to be true to themselves whereas let's say like here's a good example a night of the living dead you know what the deal with night of the living dead is it's 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 not day of the dead so the thing about night of the living dead and why it went on to become dawn of the dead and day of the dead yeah is night of the living dead is an extremely influential and important movie that is not copyrighted whatsoever Okay. Uh, The reason for that is because the law around copyright for a film stated at the time that if you didn't include the copyright symbol in the first instance of the name of your film being published, then you did not have copyright to it. Okay. When they redid, so what was it called before? Um, I feel like, okay, so Night of the Living Dead, I believe, was originally going to be called Night of the Flesh Eaters. (laughs) That's a funnier name, though. They changed the name to Night of the Living Dead, and when they reworked the promotional materials, they forgot the copyright symbol, and they forgot copyright language. So they fell into a legal loophole. They fell into a legal loophole, which made Night of the Living Dead technically in the public domain. Okay. Where that went from there is we essentially have zombies because night of the living dead is in the public domain because if you look at universal it has rights over the wolfman and frankenstein and the mummy and close approximations of those characters fall under copyright law which is why you see like representations of frankenstein not looking like universal's frankenstein unless they are parody
0: all right so so the zombie the, the the concept of a zombie in film might have been protected under this night of the living dead title
1: if they chose to they could have made that a proprietary uh part of that series and then zombies wouldn't be a part of popular culture
0: but instead it was anyone could have used it because it was in public domain and look where we are now we've got all of these different zombie stories we're
1: not just limited to night of the living dead-esque stories and, of course, because it's in the public domain, there are, like, dozens of Night of the Living Dead movies, and they're all terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's unavoidable, but the the, the the what you're saying is, without the copyright, we were free to tell the versions of the stories that we wanted to using this concept. So maybe, like, maybe not copywriting things for the express purpose of benefiting, for, you know, monetarily from the future iterations of these things. Maybe we let the copyright go and just see what others can make with with
1: that property exactly i mean can you imagine a world where copyright that is that restrictive does not exist instead of just having like a palette of these distinct colors we would just have this like incredible spectrum where we would be watching things that like have legitimate things from star wars in them they're not star wars stories but they're stories they're telling pieces of this universe that everyone can just use and they can iterate on and build on and we're not precious of these universes we just appreciate stories for what they are yeah, you get the extended canon before Disney declared it all bunk. And would there even be an idea of canon if that was the universe we lived in like if we would we just see like a space movie and be like oh that's a space movie with lightsabers in it and like all they had was lightsabers and it wasn't in the Star Wars universe they were just able to use ideas that they thought were interesting that helped them tell a story. Yeah, I
0: feel like then it becomes the audience's duty to to pick and choose what falls into the story that they want to that they want not to hear, but like that it becomes the audience's job to sort of pick and choose what falls into the canon, not the creators.
1: Yeah, all canon would be a head canon at that point. It wouldn't be these staunchly protected fables that we meet out to people over decades, it would be this vast array of hundreds of things that could possibly fall under this umbrella of the things that you consider to be part of the story to you in a meaningful way. And in that
0: way, you're creating your own story using the stories of others. And so you're participating in the act of creation instead of just being a uh, passive viewer. Oh,
1: it sounds so cool! Yeah, it,
0: there are countries where copyright law is a lot looser. Like uh, Japan has notoriously lax copyright. That basically, as long as you give credit to the original uh, company or, or creator of that property, you can you can iterate on it, and you get really cool things like the Show and Jump uh, video games where it's just an all-out all, all out brawler using, like, all of these popular characters from vast works of, of
1: anime and manga. One of my favorite examples of something like this from Japan is... Have you ever heard of Super Robot Wars? Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it on the podcast before. Oh, we probably talked about it under similar circumstances. Yeah. Oh. Or, or no, am I thinking of Earth Earth Defense? Maybe. Uh, so what Super Robot Wars is, is a turn-based strategy game uh, about giant humanoid robots, and it uses uh, robots from franchises, dozens of franchises are in every game. And the the characters are part of it. It's this huge, like, tableau of dozens of different franchises that take place in this single story for the purpose of, like, making a engaging game turn-based strategy game yeah yeah but uh, the coolest thing about it is it started essentially as a way to deliver like fan service to make a game that's like ah, oh, we got a gundam and it's fighting a voltron what's up but it eventually turned into this massively celebrated super high budget um festival of all these different intellectual properties where you have stories that are written by legendary manga authors and then you get super prolific artists to do all the art and you get really famous voice actors who haven't voiced that character in 20 years who are voicing the character now for the first time and people can relive their childhoods and you get music from bands that are made up of people who made the music for all of these things
0: yeah and then it becomes like the purest form of celebration for each of those individual uh franchises and in a completely original setting that probably would not happen otherwise
1: Yeah, and it's easy to say, you know, of course this isn't a thing that's taking place in the discrete universe of the thing that I watched otherwise, but it's this massive celebration of the creative powers that made this stuff in the first place. Instead of everyone fighting over, uh, this is my intellectual property and this is my intellectual property, you have dozens or hundreds of creators coming together to say, yeah, we made an awesome thing and I really appreciate the thing you made and now we're going to make this thing together.
0: Yeah, I mean, Japan is just really great at stuff like that. Because, like, just think of, like, Kingdom Hearts. Oh, Kingdom Hearts. Where else would you find the fusion of Final Fantasy, Square Enix properties, and Disney? Exactly. Yeah, that doesn't happen in America.
1: And thankfully it did happen in America due to some crazy deals.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what red tape they had to cut, but you know that that idea does not originate in America. It has to come from a place where people are not used to not being able to to, to touch other properties because of all of the bureaucratic red tape.
1: And I mean, you know, Mickey Mouse laws and whatever, we're not going to get out of this anytime soon, but I think that everyone, everyone who's a creator owes it to themselves to think about potentially publishing in the public domain.
0: Yeah, I feel like, you know, I, as a writer who wants to make money one day uh, with with their writings, I'm going to have to say we should at least allow book people to 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 keep their works maybe for a little while maybe until they're done and then mm-hmm. they can turn it over you know eventually
1: or i mean we could just say i mean that's a slippery slip to put a, a timetable on it but we could say that the the selling of discrete works in their entirety uh costs money but using things from that i don't know it's tough it's it's a tough place because people want to make money and people want to eat
0: yeah i mean the thing the thing about it is like we can come up with a perfect copyright system but once you have to factor in capitalism it's going to fall apart
1: capitalism is uh, it's a it's a it's a big stinking x just put in your equation it's like what
0: yeah well it's just the idea of someone using my idea to make money and i'm not getting credit or like at least a royalty check nah, that's not that's not a fun time you know
1: yeah how does Japan do it?
0: I have no idea.
1: Maybe we'll do some research into yeah. it. No, no, I don't th- we won't.
0: I don't think they're. I don't think they're capitalistic. So they must be something else.
1: I think Japan's capitalistic. I'm just trying to figure out what their copyright laws are. I don't know. Very lax.
0: Very loose. It could just be a royalty thing, you know. Actors get royalties for reruns and syndication. Why? Why can't creators get royalties for
1: iterations of their work? I mean, yeah, but you would have to negotiate royalties and then people could have like usurous royalty requirements that essentially keep you from putting their things in your work
0: it's a, it's a it's a federally mandated 5%.
1: 5% for every yeah, if you're in the work you get 5%, but what if you have more than 20 things in one work? Well, it's 5% per per idea unit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, per, per,
0: per unit of thought. Per unit of thought. And then you get into, well, what is a thought? And then the government is defining thought for us, and we have thought police, and then I guess, well... We go down that rabbit hole and end up in fascist territory.
1: Well, I mean, all roads lead to fascism. Yep, just like that famous Roman saying. Yeah, you take the high road, and I'll take the low road, and I'm not going to fight you in the ditch. But I'm going to end up on top. Oh! Oh, Roman. Roman. Oh, Roman. Roman. You know, I feel like the, the trend of this episode of the podcast has been discussing things that are... Relatively simple and light, and turning them into things that are either uh, depressing or impossible to fathom.
0: Well, I, I yeah, I, I think we're in the kind of mood where we spin off into what we're really thinking about, and we're just using current news items to kind of get to that point because that the the entirety, the entire nugget of that last segment was. J.J. Abrams is directing Star Wars 9.
1: And then we turned it into, why can't people just create, man? Yeah. Bra. Man bra. Man bra. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm projecting. I'm projecting a little.
0: Well, I I just think there's these issues that we're we're talking about where, like, why... We're trying to get to the root of why was he replaced? Why J.J. Abrams? Why is he the pick? And that there there's a deeper seated issue there with this this weird this weird authorian take on storytelling that these studios and these pr- producers in our opinions have way too much control over the story that's being told.
1: Henry, when we make your book into a movie, promise me you won't let me take over and cast Idris Elba as the 14-year-old girl. Yes, promise you won't let me do that. And now I'm not saying you can't cast a good Idris Elba, but he's going to be a good fit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like when it comes to time to sell off my book rights, I'm going to be one of those authors who's just like, yeah, just send me the check and uh, good luck. You're going to George R.R. Martin it. Actually, he was very involved in his in yeah, the production. He, he was. He was in the casting decisions. He, he, he at least sat in and. and commented whether or not he think they would be a good character he helped with the script writing he, he helped uh
1: he, he was really involved he that might be the best way to do it if you're an author because you're like okay i'm gonna burn the maximum amount of energy right here early on to make sure it seems like they're on the right path and then bermuda yeah
0: now i, I feel like if i ever had the opportunity to turn one of my works into into film i want to be like I want it in my contract where it's just like, I'm not going to like, I'm going to be on set and you can ignore me, but I just want to be, I want to be there. You know, I just want to be present for
1: what's happening. You, uh, you have it in your contract that you reserve all rights to scream during filming and they can either edit it out or quit filming and hear your concerns.
0: (laughs) No, I I don't want to like, I don't want to intrude on the process because it's an entirely separate type of creation that I, I don't really feel like I would be good at, but I just want to be, I just want to experience it, you know? I just want to get, I want to earn that royalty check. Yeah, earn that check. That check for just having an idea once. That's all I really want. I want to get paid for having ideas.
1: I want to get paid for having one really good
0: idea. You want to be Larry David?
1: Yes. Well, if I'm Larry David, then by extension I will have created the monster known as Steve Bannon.
0: By accident.
1: Yeah, it's true. You you can't know. Yeah. He's I, got a piece of that Seinfeld. Yeah, that's all I meant
0: was like Larry David made a lot of his, you know, money off Seinfeld. You know, I want to make a Seinfeld. Me too. Let's do it. Let's team up. Let's make a Seinfeld. Okay,
1: here's the, let's start from the top. Here's the theme, so, here's the theme song. ba da ba 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 da ba ba and then like how does how does it start uh i guess we're in a new york apartment no it has to there has to be like a like a cold not like a cold open uh what if it was like a cold open then a then a theme song then it went into the oh man cold open tv shows rule
0: yeah i like cold opens but you already did the theme song so we're, we're in the thick of it now
1: Okay, what if it's a theme song and then a semi-cold open open and that goes into the real theme song, which is just the theme from Twin Peaks? (laughs) That sweeping, melodic, weird, haunting melody? Yeah. What's the name of the guy? Angelo Badalamenti? Is he the guy who scored it?
0: Yeah. I don't know things. All right, so we open on a log cabin in the center of New York City. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a table made of wood, but on that table made of wood are new hip plates that are square. And there's a there there's 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 three people around a table: uh, a young hip guy, an older, more modern like old-fashioned, modernly dressed guy, and uh, a girl who's dressed somewhere in between the two,
1: like a spectrum. And then the, the young hip guy says I can't believe they haven't delivered our pho yet.
0: Yeah, and the old modern guy is like, man, back in my day, which wasn't that old long ago because we're the same age, people used to make their own pho.
1: And then the lady's like, Would you two shut the pho up? And then like the studio audience roars in laughter, but then the studio audience's elation is seemingly cut short as the the door bursts open and there's a a man in acetate sunglasses and aggressively wide bottom jeans bursts in and it's the the quirky side character
0: and he, he's like did somebody order some Because fu- I'm fucking hungry.
1: And then the audience just explodes, they lose it, they throw chairs, they gnash teeth, they punch each other.
0: And the three people at the table simultaneously say, Oh,
1: v Uh, uh, please, his name is Vitamin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but they mispronounce it as a joke.
1: Yeah, because they, uh, Yeah.
0: They go vitamin. Oh, vitamin, and, and he's like, Yeah, that's me. I'm vitamin. That, <laughs> and the, that, and then buddy. he says his
1: uh, he says his favorite catchphrase, which of course starts Bobity Bep Bep. And he's like, <laughs> and then, then he says the then he says, of course, his catchphrase, what do I do? Bobity bep what do I do? And then
0: the audience at this point cannot contain their la- they're laughing even during the setups of the next joke, uh, one elderly gentleman
1: can be heard wheezing because he can't catch his breath. Several members of the audience have actually begun to rush the stage of the performance, and they're being corralled by stage managers.
0: And and all of this is, is, you can hear it, it's audible in the episode, but the actors continue because they're professionals. And so we go back to... The young, uh,
1: hip guy going, man,
0: how long ago did we
1: even order? And then the, the hip lady's like, we ordered, and then she looks at her, her Apple watch, and then she does, like, a double take, and she says, hold, hold on, Barreled, which is the, the, the older guy's name. Yeah. And she says, hold on, Berald, our lift driver has been outside for two hours trying to take us to the Sydney Orchestra. And Beryl's like, oh man, I thought that was tomorrow
0: because I had this this note in my Google Calendar, because I'm old-fashioned, that said it was for tomorrow. I must have programmed it for the wrong
1: day. And then at, at his joke of his antiquity, the studio audience reaches a, a fever pitch. Laughter turns into, into screaming. Not screaming of joy or sadness, but just people trying to let God know they're still here. At several people in the back row burst into flames. And then several people in the front row, more people are, are rushing the stage now. People are rushing in off of the street to join in the seats that the people have gotten up from to rush the stage because there, there can't be a vacuum. The sign that once said applause now just says chaos reigns.
0: Uh, one, one, one of the audience members manages to slip past the poor intern who's trying to corral them and manages to land on stage, uh, the, the new, the, the younger, the more hip guy turns to the audience member and goes, Finally, the
1: pho is here! And then the audience member produces three cups of steaming hot pho from his athleisure windbreaker, serving it to the three of them, and the studio audience at this point has begun to to smoke. And uh, he
0: turns and looking dead eye into the camera, he says, That'll be
1: 4250 plus tip oh and then people lose it because they're like a oh, tip plus delivery charge forty-two fifty for some fun." new york city is crazy and then the audience starts to they start to whirl around the stage like a whirlwind they don't even know what they're doing they're recounting their life story as they run around the audience and then and then vitamin says what did what what do i do f- f- fade to black that's it we just wrote we just wrote our the, the next sign fill i think this is the idea that's going to make us all of our money
0: all of the money that we have coming
1: to us you know i've really changed how i feel about copyright law what do you mean? Do you do you feel better about it or worse? It should be stricter because no one can take this from us. <laughs> this genius idea that we just spitballed. Oh shit! What should it be called? Uh, it should be called the new Seinfeld, bitches. There we go. the new The new Seinfeld, bitches. <laughs> yeah, and and you know it's to reflect the time, and it's also uh, produced by Larry David. Yep. It's actually Larry David's daughter. I forget her name. Oh, little Larry David. (laughs) Little Larry David, yeah. Man, I feel like we should end this podcast now that we've gotten all of our good ideas out. Yeah, but first we should
0: reveal the deep-seated and intertwining theme that was interwoven and entangled all throughout this episode.
1: Yes, if you've listened closely... I think you know what it is. And,
0: you know, true fans will know already what it is because we hinted at it before we even started recording.
1: We hinted at it
0: a lot. Yep, and uh, of course, this week's theme is that... John, why, why don't
1: you set up this theme and I'll, and I'll knock them down with it. Okay, so the theme, if, if you've been paying attention, we talked about the breach at Equifax. We, we talked about how 134 million people potentially had their identities stolen. And then we, of course, seamlessly transitioned into talking about how Colin Trevorrow has been ousted as the director of Star Wars Episode Nine, replaced by J.J. Abrams. Uh, Both of those, in turn, uh, turned into larger conversations about the nature of creativity, the nature of happiness, whether we choose to be happy, and whether copyright is worthwhile, and then we made the new Seinfeld. Yes, and of course, all of this was connected by the feeling that
0: one gets when they read that Liam Neeson has retired from action movies. That was the common theme. The feeling that you get when you read that Liam Neeson has retired from action movies.
1: I know that when I read that news, the first thing I thought was, can I choose to be happy? And then I immediately thought, why can't people just create? Exactly. So we
0: we don't have a word for that exact feeling in English, but the Japanese do,
1: and I'll be sure to learn it. Yeah, so we'll learn what that Japanese word is next time, and I think the Germans are working on one. Yep, and uh, now we can start
0: wrapping up our podcast with the usual marathon-style
1: social media plugs. All right, Henry, you know we were fucking around a little bit these last two weeks, taking a little while, but I want to get through these social media plugs real quick this time. Here we go, start your engine. First of all, like, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. It is the best way to get people to listen to the podcast. Tell your friends. That is the most important one. I don't know why I don't say it first. You can send us an email at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase, no underscores. Send us an email. Send us a B bmail. Send us a gmail. You can get us on Twitter at zcpcwhj, which stands for Henry.
0: Stands for zoom
1: can't think of more words yep zoom can't think of more words that's at zcpcwhj we love twitter you can find us on facebook by searching for zero credits podcast on the facebook search bar and give us a poke and you can watch us play video games on twitch.tv slash zero credits sometimes we stream things And don't forget, dear
0: listener, the spooky month of October is coming up, and we're going to do a month-long celebration of fright and freaks right here on Zero Credits, Pumpkin Time All Time. 31 days of terror givings. Four episodes, maybe five, haven't counted out the weeks yet, of spooky, scary, frightening terror sent straight to your shaking ears. Dark Lord, bring us the sad times. And that Dark Lord's name is Zero Credits, and you are the person saying that sentence. It's all coming to you in
1: October. So look forward to that, but also look forward to the maybe two more episodes of regular Zero Credits you have to listen to before we get to that sweet scare juice.
0: Yeah, and
1: don't forget the name of the
0: event. It's zero credits will scare you and your mother in the month
1: of October. And you guys will need new skin, Tober. New skin, Tober, coming at you. I feel like I've made this plug session abnormally long, but that's the bit. Take it away, John. And we'll catch you next week for a hot new episode fresh off the presses, and we'll probably be in a better mood than we were this week. No promises, though. Brains are tricky. Well,
0: I mean, it's all—it all depends on what news comes out in the next week. I mean, we're a—we're a, we're a podcast that covers the zeitgeist. We can only be as happy as the zeitgeist, you know.
1: Yeah, maybe the news will be happier. Ha <laughs> ha! Bye, bye. That's never gonna fucking happen. God damn it.